Welcome to the Faces podcast. We're a Christian and Muslim charity working to build resilience in faith communities against child sexual exploitation and other forms of harm. We'll be talking about what faith and interfaith work means to us and how we embed an inclusive and authentic approach throughout our work. Right. Welcome to our conversation today on the subject of refugees. Uh, we did an initial one on refugees, chatting with Tony, and uh, today I've got Tony back. I don't know if you want to introduce yourself, Tony. Hello, I'm Tony Thompson. I uh, am part of FACES. i one of the founders, uh, a trustee, but I also uh, lead a local Christian church here in Luton. Thanks, Tony. And I've also got Melissa, uh, who's a staff member with me. Do you want to introduce yourself, Melissa? Hello, I'm Melissa. I work for FACES and also have involvement in a couple of other charities as well. Yeah. And my name's Nigel and I work for FACES, uh, but also have involvement in, in a couple of other charities and different community uh, groups as well. So um, we're going to have a conversation about refugees. Um, it's been very topical in the press. And as FACES, we'd like to do some of our podcasts that are fresh off the news and um, to discuss where that affects uh, exploitation and children and, and also faith. And, and so we're looking into uh, some of those things. Now, uh, this week in our news, uh, we saw uh, the Home Secretary getting grilled um, about uh, her work by a scrutiny panel. Um, and a lot of that was about refugees. And that stood out very starkly. Um, my daughter uh, was walking down the street and overheard people uh, discussing in quite a racist way about refugees locally. And um, that really uh, annoyed her. <laughs> uh, she came home and told us about it. But it shows that there are people who are um, seeking asylum and in our communities in different places. And uh, the story from the Home Office, it appears a lot of people have been put into hotels. So on Wednesday, the media announced that the Home Office in Kent, where thousands of migrants who arrived in small boats um, and have uh, have been taken since it opened in February, suddenly went down to zero people in this um, facility. And that meant that all these people had been put in hotels around the country. And that was fairly obvious from the Home Office, but people were being processed. And um, in emptying the center, uh, it's it's quite a so 40, 40, uh, 4,000 people suddenly have been moved around, but we understand there's nearly 40,000 people uh, that have come across this year uh, by boat into the country. Uh, that is part of a larger a number uh, of uh, nearly half a million that's in the press today um, that have come into the country. Um, and a lot of these people, some of them are students, half of them are students that have come into the country and will be uh, only here temporarily. So it's really strange how all the figures work. But into the mess of all of those things, there are the lives of people and families and, and children. And um, regardless of what's happening in government or who's in government, um, there's a number of um, the, the human side and, and the humanity that we want to focus on today. And that's having a local impact, and we'll hopefully discuss some of that. Um, but it's also 
um, some of the terms we need to look at. A refugee, according to the United Nations, a refugee is a person who, owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion, is outside of the country of his nationality or her nationality and is unable or owing to such fear, unwilling to avail himself or herself of the protection of that country or who having not um, having a nationality and being outside of the country of a normal habitat, ha habitual residence as a result of such events is unable or owing to such fear is unwilling to return to it. So there's a term refugee that's used quite a bit in a lot of what we'll be discussing. There's also person seeking asylum, someone who's left their country of origin and applied for asylum in another country, but whose application has not yet been concluded. And then there's the other uh, terms, a refused asylum applicant, someone whose application has been unsuccessful. And then there's also the term migrant, which is someone who has moved from another country for other reasons such as to find work. So that's uh, a little bit around the subject. There's these different terms that are used by, by government departments, but the local impact is, and the personal impact is where we really want to be discussing today. And um, and so I think, well, I'll open up and, and say, is there anything um, about how you feel this hits um, people in our communities, how are people affected by this? And also how um, are the people caught up in this being treated? And, and, and what are our concerns about that? So I'll throw that open, see whether Tony or Melissa would like to dive in on that. Yeah, I think it's it's good that you started uh, with that reminder that uh, of the conversation your daughter overheard. Um, I think for for all of us in the different kind of areas that we work in and the different projects we've been doing, we've been surrounded by people who actually are really trying to help um, who, you know, amongst all the labels that you've just explained, actually just see people for people, children for children, and are trying to um, provide whatever sort of support that we can, whether that's through sort of practical clothes and, and things like that, or if it's uh, trying to just create a space for them to be and, and have some sort of social activity with the rest of the community. Um, and especially for, for me, speaking for myself, the last few weeks, I've been talking with a lot of people about how we can support the amount of asylum seekers that have come into Luton recently. Um, but it it should be also uh, kind of at the forefront to remember that not everyone thinks like us um, and that for some people, uh, the idea of, you know, perceivably a lot of uh, new people from a new country with new values and, and all of these kind of uh, misconceptions people might have around people. Um, actually, there's a level of fear and um, discomfort that, that comes with knowing that um, whether or not they really see are face to face with it kind of on a daily basis. Um, so hopefully we can kind of unpack some of their, the narratives um, that people might have today. Yeah. Th thanks, Melissa. Uh, anything from you, Tony? Uh, yes, I'm just aware, as to reinforce what Melissa was saying, there's two sides to it, and the difficulty is that the lack of information or understanding. So I, I know people 
rightly, they certainly see, uh, so, so even, yeah, uh, a, a dozen men, uh, tall men, big men, all, all together can be quite intimidating. And, uh, and I know people who've talked to me about that. Um, and you can understand that. But on the other hand, you've got, uh, so just locally, 400 um, men in ex-university accommodation here who uh, are living in tight conditions and they're bored to tears. And many of them have got very little English and so they're going to gather together. And so whilst they may look to others quite intimidating, they themselves feel a sense of threat, they're, they're bored out of their minds, and they, they feel very uncertain. And, and so there's, but it's how do you uh, make those connections uh, and so people can, can fully understand the, the situation from both sides? Yeah. I think yeah. one, way on of, one way of um, how we get to that, uh, people not having an instant level of, of fear or, or whatever it is when they see, like you said, a group of men or have an idea of there being X amount of uh, men or, or boys uh, in an area is not perpetuating the narratives that that is inherently a bad thing. Uh, we saw in uh, the Home Affairs uh, Wednesday's meeting that, that, you know, this idea that actually when we're talking about asylum seekers, refugees, if we say that they're boys or they're men or they're, they're 16 and 17 years old and they're boys, that somehow that should mean that they don't deserve uh, a, a level of, of care for their well-being or that, that it's a negative thing for the community that into which they're entering. Um and we see that across the, you know, the, across the board in, in the media around uh, narratives towards asylum seekers, you know, that they're all men or the majority of them are men. But why, why has that all of a sudden suddenly meant something that means they don't deserve safety, they don't deserve provision, that they're bringing some sort of negativity with them? Um, and from a safeguarding perspective, obviously, we, we say this repeatedly, we can't view boys uh, as being not at the same level of risks as girls are because we know that they are. We know that uh, boys are exploited, that boys are abused. Um, and there's not something inherent in being a, a male that means that you are less likely to be uh, exploited or abused in that way. Yeah, I think that's some men, great... Yeah, go, yeah. Men are here uh, leaving wives and children behind uh, so that we, we do hear and see about families coming. And I've, I've met numbers of families who have made the, the treacherous uh, journey to the UK. But many of uh, the men that I've spoken to have left uh, wives and children uh, behind and are, because it's just too risky to bring them. Mm -hmm. but, and in many cases, the, the, their wives and children are in hiding in their own countries mm -hmm. and... Uh, whilst the, the men try to get asylum here so that they can bring their families with them. So, so it's, it's just that, as Melissa says, it's, it's getting the correct narrative there and and not every, all the uh, refugees here so are, are coming across in small boats. Uh, there are some, the latest group arrived in Luton are from that means, 
but that's not the only means. So I've met uh, people who are, are were here uh, working for major companies and, and things, but actually have taken the opportunity whilst they're here because of their danger and the situation back home to take the opportunity to claim a, asylum. There's and it's getting the, the truth out there, mm-hmm. and that breaks down fear. Um, and it, it triggers when when you get to know uh, different people, it triggers that level of compassion uh, of whether for me talking to people in, in English or using one of the Google translates or something equivalent uh, and actually having a conversation on your smartphone in the different language is you get to know real people who are suffering and it just draws out uh, and ought to draw out, I think, a level of compassion. And whatever you think about the bigger picture, actually these individuals deserve compassion. And, and I just can't help but feel compassionate and in many ways totally overwhelmed by the size of the problem and our ineffectiveness of dealing with it. Yeah, I think there's a lot uh, that's that's happening, and I think that humanity that you're describing there, Tony. I think it, it's it's if we can deal in concepts rather than dealing in people, um, we we can make people other. <laughs> and but when we meet people, when we talk, when we understand, we realize that some of that making people other is so damaging in this. And we don't see the crushed lives and the broken lives, and we don't see the, the com- with 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 eyes of compassion like we should. And and I think this is part of the, you know, you'd almost want to introduce people <laughs> to people going through the system wh- who are making decisions about those people. It'd be so different uh, in in how it works out. And um, one of the illustrations used in the. Um, the the scrutiny panel quizzing the the home secretary this week was one of the MPs did a role play and said, uh, what if I was a 16 year old in Africa having to flee religious persecution? How could I get to the UK (laughs) uh, legally and put in my application? And, and, it was fudged. I mean, there was no real, oh, well, if it was a certain African country, we might be able to help, but actually there's some big gaps here. And you've got people who, um, you know, cannot get the help and are making tough journeys, paying really awful people a lot to, to get to places or having to trust people uh, who, who are, are just raking in the money from this it's very very difficult and to just put the blame with the traffickers or just put the blame with the people who, who are seeking asylum is so wrong in in, in that interview i was just thinking ah <laughs> um it, it there's no humanity in that and there needs to be and also yeah. from what i've understood when i meet with people from other nations i learn more about myself and how I am, it, it changes things. Um, you get a bigger view of the world. 
And I think there's a lot that should be helping us in this season uh, that that actually is very often pushed aside or viewed as other while big decisions are made and headlines are grabbed. Mm. Um, I don't know what you guys think as well. Um, but You've reminded me that, you know, there's so many, uh, and Tony reminded me actually of a second thing in a minute, there's so many barriers to safety, to dignity, to a level of life that is comfortable that I'm sure neither one of us um, can ever relate to in terms of the level of difficulty and poverty that some of these asylum seekers would have um, faced and much worse. And there's so many barriers sort of politically and logistically and all the processes and things that they have to overcome and the weight to even, you know, uh, be able to claim refugee status and have the um, level of of sort of uh, acceptance that that might grant them. Um, But I think on the same side, and Tony reminded me with what you just said, um, there's a lot of barriers that aren't really barriers to everyday people you know we think language is a barrier we think um having a different religion is a barrier or being from a different country having different customs is a is a barrier to us getting to know someone um but i think there's so much beyond that that if uh, sort of everyday people could um see that they wouldn't perhaps hold the false narratives the false ideas about as you said, others um, in the way that they do. And there was a a group of people, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, Tony, that came to uh, Hope Church, Tony's church, uh, recently. And we received a message from them afterwards saying, thank you so much for, you know, telling me the times and things to go there. Uh, Even though I couldn't understand what they were saying, because it was in English, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, um, it was still like family. You know, I felt like I had a big family around me. I felt so welcomed. Um, so beyond all of the sort of different customs and, and language and all of that, actually there's so much beyond that that we can still connect through. Um, and faith obviously being a, a huge part of that. Yeah. Is, is that showing that sense of humanity? And But I just want to re-emphasise that there is a whole spectrum of people that we're talking about. So... So we, I am in contact. So I watched the England-Iranian match with about 20 or 30 Iranians uh, and about 40 or 50 English people. Uh, and it was a great cultural experience. Uh, whilst this is going on, uh, there's another group of Iranians with some of our people watching the England, and uh, so the Wales-Iranian match. So you've got that context. But also, I'm in contact with two uh, separate African women who were here on student visas for different reasons. Both of them had children. uh, uh, And uh, after that, they they are applying to the right to remain. And and in both cases, I I think um, that two years later... uh, they're still waiting for their case to be dealt with. They are living with uh, young, very young preschool children in single rooms, uh, very little resources. One, at least, I am really quite concerned for her mental health and in terms of how she's coping. Both if they had right to remain, uh, 
could uh, contribute significantly to our nation. They are able, intelligent women. And, and the issue is that they are waiting for many years for their cases to be resolved. I, I was struck by the BBC report of the productivity in the which has reduced significantly in the Home Office of applying, uh, dealing with these cases. And currently, the 600 people looking to do this, they are on average dealing with one case per person every two weeks. And I just think that, and, and then the majority of people are given rights to remain. And the human cost of that uh, is just horrendous. And the human cost plus the, the cost to our nation and and these people, the, the, the two separate ladies, they've been moved around the nation mm. and there's no stability for them, there's no stability for their kids. The whole thing is a total mess and vulnerable people are suffering because of it. And, and the whole of my compassion goes out. We've got to do something to change this situation. It's wrong. On all accounts, it is wrong. Yeah. The very the circumstances you just described as well about being moved and so living in sort of uh, unsuitable housing and then being moved around the country away from any connections that the people may have made, whether that's church or mosque or family or um or not family but uh, you know workplaces that they might be connected to different organizations um moving away from all of that support structure creates a vulnerability in itself you know we're, we're creating vulnerable people even if we may not have perhaps labeled them as such beforehand um and in terms of young children and young people that's a real question of risk and, and safety and as you said it doesn't seem like much has been done to acknowledge that yeah and I, and I think the system uh tony was mentioning there as well of handling one person per person each week and how they're going to solve it oh they're going to make people do a lot more a week um process and i'm thinking it, it just doesn't you know i think they're thinking of three uh, or something like that was mentioned in this uh, home office uh, discussion and and actually some of these systems, there's, there's years. So someone as a an asylum seeker says, hey, I need some help here. I'm being persecuted in a country. Actually, you won't acknowledge that until I land in your country. <laughs> so, so in some ways, I need this help. It's going to take years of uncertainty be moved from pillar to post and there's a, a couple of myths with this. There's a kind of myth that all these people are in lav lavish luxury. And what, what I'm hearing from both of you is that's not the case. They don't even have coats in winter. Uh, there, there are horrific situations around where people's mental health is suffering as they wait for years for these things to happen. And then they, they go through a process uh, where it's one per week per employee with 40,000 people just coming in this year on, on, you know, uh, on boats, uh, you know, and others coming in by other means, there's a huge mess. And actually there needs to be the humanity and the care given into that. And I think some of this, and, and also you've got exploitation, you've got people wanting to use these people for 
for you know human trafficking you want to see pe- people use these people for criminal gangs and and that combination from a new youth work uh, understanding which is where i come from a bit as well um you don't want young people sitting doing nothing uh, while in, in a vulnerable position while you've got some nasty people wanting to use them for the wrong purposes mm. whether they're male or female mm. this this whole area of sitting for years in this is 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 a huge issue that needs the right tackling but the right humanity in it and i think as just uh, as we come into land here i think this the, the 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 humanity that comes from faith the care for each other uh, that comes from that i think is is a major um factor that drives faces and brings the compassion from us as an organization into this and compassionate people from our faiths into this. Um, but I just wondered if you wanted to comment on the faith aspects of this. Um, uh, you know, how does your faith affect you when you see situations like this? I think we see that it's um, that those ideas of, of compassion and and love for people regardless of their circumstances and justice um you know we see that those ideas are lacking in the general narrative around asylum seekers um whether that's media or in politics you know it's less about how do we help these people and it's more about how do we fix the problem that is these people um and in how many ways can we blame them for uh, being here and, and causing us problems and how many ways can we say that actually, you know, sort of dehumanize them to, to try and create a narrative that they're not worth helping. Um, you know, that's so, so in, in every sense, if we ask a question about faith, it's what's completely missing um, from much of this, except we are the ones uh, in Luton, you know, in a large part, uh, the faith organisations are the ones organising to support people locally um, to make sure that they have, as you said, basic needs like a coat in winter. Um, and, but there's obviously only so much we can do. Yeah. And also, I think faith is at the heart of it because many of the people that we're coming into contact with are people of faith. Mm. And But what we're demonstrating, certainly through faces, and faces is representative of what is happening in Luton, which is a faith working together. Mm. And so Melissa sort of quoted the example. Uh, what, what, what I think is fascinating about that it is Melissa as a Muslim supporting and encouraging um, people from across the world to come to home church as, as a Christian church and uh, rejoicing that they're coming and finding some compassion. Uh, I, I had a Afghan family in my office a couple of days ago, uh, two young uh, married couple, young married couple with a, a, a two-year-old and the wife was pregnant uh, Muslims, uh, proud Muslims, uh, and here because they had been given leaflets in English, which they could hardly read, about how to register for a doctor, which they desperately needed because the wife was pregnant and wanted to get their child into some sort of childcare, and were totally bewildered and didn't know how to handle it. 
And and so it sort of turned up in my office and I spent half an hour on the computer helping them and registering them in the appropriate places. And so actually we as faces demonstrate that faith actually builds builds us together. And in this situation, we are demonstrating that whether you're Christian or Muslim, whatever faith you are, that actually we are demonstrating compassion and and are not uh, uh, taking advantage of the situation, but keep trying to demonstrate that faiths can work together because some of the circumstances that people are coming from, that there is issues with regarding faith when faith is seen in competition with each other and actually faith is used as a, a, a place which causes unsafe, causes it to be unsafe. Mm. And actually what we are demonstrating through our organisation and wider than that is actually uh, faith is about compassion and caring for one another. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. And 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 for me as a Christian, I, I also look through the Bible and find loads of examples of God's people as sojourners, as people on a journey, as people in in different situations and need. And so when for me as a Christian, I find a lot of the love for others needs to come out. And I've also got some good friends uh, from um a Muslim background in Luton who spend all their time feeding others, caring for others, running food banks, collecting things for families in need. And that compassion that comes uh, from belief into caring for people is, is a very powerful motivating factor. And I, th- I think that is something that the, the, the beauty of faces is we can believe what we believe strongly and, and believe different things, but use the same compassion uh, that we have stirred in our hearts to care for those around us. And I think that that's so important. I'll just come to you, Melissa. Just um, sort of, I suppose, feeling a bit energized in a sense in, in, in how we're talking about things. And I suppose if there are people listening who are like-minded um, and who are feel that there's a, a call to action that they want to hear, um, if there are any spaces, particularly sort of central spaces in the town centre um, that could be offered over the winter months especially, or if you'd like to volunteer to try and facilitate a space, whether that's a food-oriented or social-oriented or clothing provision, um, that you can help out in any way, please do get in touch with us to, to follow that up as well. Yeah. And the, the other, th- I think it's two-way as well, is that many of these people here have got skills, but they're not able to use them. And they're mm. what they are able to do is volunteer. Mm. So it's not just about people volunteering to do different things, but actually if there are opportunities for uh, refugees to volunteer to do something, then again, please keep in touch. Because I think that's a way that they can feel productive, to be valued, and can bring something back to our society. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And I think we'll we'll leave it there. Um, I, the other thing I'd, I'd say just to finish <laughs> um, is 
don't be scared of, of people. There's a need to, to bridge some gaps and step into things. And, and as Tony was saying about Google Translate on your phone, if you can find which language you, you can talk in, um, it, it will translate it for you. I hope it translates right sometimes. But, but there are ways of bridging gaps and bridging differences between people and actually showing humanity. If you see someone without a coat that looks cold, I mean, what can you do about that? Why are they, why not talk to them about it or try to converse or show some compassion? There are ways of bridging some of these, but also organizations that are willing to help clothe people, help people and connecting people and communication is key in this and communicating with government as well. Write to your MP if you're unhappy about something, let them know. There's a lot of ways we can be active on this. Uh, thank you both, and we'll leave it there.